The following is presented by Lanier Technical College, Concept One Pulley Systems, and Year One Classic Muscle Car Restoration Parts. Hit it! Hang on, you're now part of the fastest podcast on the planet, Bud's Garage Overdrive. Produced in the studios of Jacobs Media, located in beautiful downtown Gainesville, Georgia. On today's show, five essential diesel maintenance tips, the history of WD-40, and turning a technical college training into a business career. Plus, part two of our interview with Motor Trend's Sam Madavi from Sam's Garage. All that and a whole bunch more informative automotive buffoonery. Let's kick it into overdrive. Welcome in, folks. This is Bud Hughes, resident car nut, and Tim DePasquale, a poster to the stars. Speaking of which, a poster to the stars, yes, Fast and Furious and mm-hmm. all those folks. Uh, after Christmas, we had Martin Luther King Day, yeah. and that kind of kicked off the year for you. It was a holiday for some folks, and you said you had a run on I'm business. I'm telling you. Well, you know, this time of year, it's getting dark early. It's uh, yeah, yeah. It's cold out. It's, people are not thinking about their interiors of their cars for the most part. But on MLK Day, um, there were a lot of people that had the day off, and it was a beautiful day in january and uh, we were busy from the beginning right to the end which got us loaded up on the schedule to get us into february and then we'll be hoping for valentine's day to come up and and do the same thing yeah. <laughs> uh yeah I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think yeah. uh well if you love someone give them the gift of upholstery that's seat that's, heaters for Valentine's Day, how's that? Oh yeah, right, oh, yeah. right, right. You don't want to roll in there and say, uh, I, uh, "My wife's uh, been sitting over on this side of the car and she's she's busted the seat." <laughs> 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 that kind of thing. So, um, no, 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 no. But no. this is a good time of the year. Like, like you know, as hot rodders have got sunny day cars. Mm-hmm. You know, might be a good time of the year to yank the seat out and bring it over to you and have you uh, do repairs or maybe recover right, or that right, kind of right. thing. Right, or just bring the whole car and let us handle. Every bit of it. I was it's just going to say, you, you're going to be stacking cars that's is what's okay. going to happen. That's what we do best is stack those cars and move them <laughs> in and move them out. You know? But what I suggest is if we catch a nice day in the middle of winter, run to the car wash and get your car washed and yep. vacuum it out and get it all clean so that you can stride into the marketplace with confidence that you're just a little bit ahead of everybody else. Hmm. Okay. That well, sounds like a great plan, actually. Okay. Well, last week, last week we talked about which is a better truck for you, gas or diesel. Mm-hmm. And since you're Mr. Diesel Guy, I'm going to let you go over five essential engine maintenance tips for diesel. What do we have to do different on diesels? Well, uh, you got to make sure. The main thing is fuel filters and oil filters and regular maintenance. You've got to change that oil regularly and... Uh, Make sure that you change your fuel filters, too. So regular maintenance on a diesel is a lot more expensive. You know, I've, Edgar, my uh, 6.0 excursion, has 330,000 miles, and uh, a regular service is about 250 bucks. you know, because we want to make sure that he's going to be around for a good long time to come. So, yeah. you know, if you keep that maintenance up. Well, uh, we talked about it last week. You know, diesel fuel has 10 to 15% more energy than gasoline. So you get, you know, you get about 35% farther on a, on a gas and, uh, gallon of diesel fuel. Uh, but, but, you know, poor fuel economy, bad idling, low power output, bluish smoke. You know, those are things you need to be watching for on your diesel. Now, your intervals would depend on the make and model of your ride and what you do with it. But it says an average pickup, uh, diesel pickup requires oil change every five to seven miles. Mm-hmm. I would five to seven thousand. Yeah, five to seven. What I say, five. To seven. Yeah, five to seven. <laughs> five to seven thousand miles yeah, is what right, I meant. Right. And uh, you know, be prepared if you if you're towing a lot and stuff with mm-hmm. it, you may want to you know you may want to bring that. Well, down. and this is a huge difference. Sure, it's, it's different me driving my excursion by myself, right, as opposed to someone who's got an F three fifty pulling a Bobcat and all of their Every employees day, yeah. and yeah. and all the Absolutely. equipment that goes with it. Um, you need to let the diesel warm up before you haul off into the sunset. Oh, absolutely. Which, luckily, a lot of times you're loading stuff or hooking up to trailers and stuff like that, so you don't take off right away when you start a big mm-hmm. diesel like that. How about the coolant? Um, 
that's something that requires more more changes than with most gasoline engines. Uh, every couple of years, good for you? Well, you know, it's every two years or 30,000 miles is what they say. And, and, you know, that's a big deal now with the uh, emission controls because the issue that I had was when you've got the coolant running through the emission controls and that... Uh, what is that thing called? I don't the remember. The blue def, yeah. I no, know. no, it's not the blue def. It's a, there's, a, there's a thing that the coolant runs through one side and the oil runs through the other side of it. And when it breaks, then you've got coolant in your oil uh, and oil in your coolant. So no. it's important to raise your hood at least once a week and look at the coolant reservoir to make sure that it's still green or red or whatever, whatever color, color you have supposed month, to be. Yeah. And if it's brown... You got a problem. Yeah, and I think you would notice that in several other ways. Uh, periodically inspect and change the fuel filters. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that screws up the injectors, and boy, you don't want to get into injector pumps and right. mechanical injectors and things like that and on see, a diesel a, and try to replace a, this stuff. There's a thing called stiction, where the uh, the oil the that's dripping off of the end of the injector uh, solidifies. And then it creates a problem with the the fuel nozzle. Okay. So you've got to keep all that fuel clean, and there they actually have additives that you can add to the fuel and the oil to prevent that from happening. And it, there again, it's just it's important to keep everything clean, keep those fuel filters changed. And a lot of people don't want to do that because they're expensive. Oh yeah. But yeah. nothing's more expensive than spending Getting seven or eight thousand bucks. the major stuff. Yeah, that's for sure. You know, Okay, our next guest, Tim, was highly recommended by another Tim. That would be Tim McDonald from Lanier Technical College, oh, yeah. president of the Lanier Technical College. Uh, back when I was teaching there, he was also my machine tool instructor mm-hmm. and put up with me coming in there and trying to tear up the Bridgeport machines and stuff. Because I, you know, I always did engine machining. He didn't have any of those kind of machines in the shop. I see. But anyway, he uh, he recommended that we interview our next guest and that would be brandon reed and brandon is the president of reed design and, and manufacturing llc and uh when we got to talk and i said i know that name well i know that name because he was also one of my students so brandon <laughs> welcome into uh, oh yeah bud's garage hey brandon hey thank you for welcoming guys thank uh, you bud thank you tim what what program were you initially registered in and and what was that whole process like all right, so back in 2004, I registered for the Motorsports Vehicle Technology Program. And uh, that interview process, when I, when I applied for it, there's a lot of candidates that wanted to be in that program. Right, it was yeah. a very popular program. I believe there's 100 candidates that wanted to be into it that year. And um, it was a pretty good panel uh, interview set up. I had uh, you and a couple other instructors and a few guys from NASCAR come in and sit down and interview all of us. And... Um, you know, went through a bunch of the questions and narrowed it down to about 20 of us and went from there. Oh, we got in a lot of trouble for that. But uh, they always wanted us to take in a gazillion students, and we always thought it was a good idea to f- let you know what you were getting into. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was a, I, I think, I think you would agree it was a two-way process. You were asking us questions, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're yeah. giving us more of the insight of what to expect later on. You know, it's not yeah. just, uh, you know, the glamour. And the, oh, yeah, the glamour. And the glory. Glory. Oh, yeah. You know, there's yeah. a lot of hard work to it. Yeah, well. Um, and another thing that we did in the, in the program was, you know, basically in the motorsports program is we didn't have a bunch of welders. We had a welding program. So I thought I got with the other instructors and said, hey, you know, we're not going to buy a bunch of welders. You already got them. Do you have a class you can put the people in? And, and we did the same thing with Machine Tool where you got to know Tim McDonald. So, you know, we kind of opened up different things within the program to see what lit your fire. And uh, apparently some of this stuff lit your fire. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. It's definitely a very comprehensive course there. Brandon, what other programs at the college helped to develop your interest and skill set? Oh, well, like Bud just said here, the, the, the motorsports course alone um, entailed sheet metal fabrication, machine shop, machine tool technology, welding and fabrication. Um, also got into a couple engineering programs there with a drafting program, mm-hmm. um, technical writing programs that they had going on there, which is very critical in, in building, you know, one-step lessons and, mm-hmm. and how-to guides for some of the other mechanics. So 
There's a lot of courses there, even the, even the basic courses like the English and history, you know, teaches you how to be resourceful and how to find the information that you need. Yeah, I hadn't thought good. about that. When you're doing, yeah. when you're doing uh, term papers and stuff like that, mm. uh, you know, back in the day, you yeah. know, <laughs> I, I was there during stone tablets. We went from there to paper, and we had encyclopedias. You had to look it up, you know, oh, yeah. all the encyclopedias yep. and stuff like that. Why, why uh, now I know, you, you know, motorsports is such a sexy, glamorous program, uh, but why, why a technical college over uh, engineering college or something like that? Well, it's right funny. So, so right out of high school, um, I had a lot of opportunities to go to a different colleges, different mm-hmm. programs. I actually wanted to be a pediatrician uh, for the longest time. Oh, you were with a couple of good guys that could. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> to and, practice. Uh, <laughs> and you know, I applied to all these different colleges, and my grandmother uh, retired from SKF. You know, a long time in the manufacturing industry. Right. She told me, you know, get up and go to these different campuses and see what's going on out there. Uh, so at the time, UNG was Gainesville College. Right, yeah. um, so I took a swing by there, check it out. Uh, it was exactly what I expected, a normal campus, students walking around. And then I made my way around the backside to Lanier Tech, and lo and behold, there were two Ferrari Cup cars back there revving up their engines. Uh-huh. And that kind of got my attention, and I walked up, you know, walked back there to see what was going on, and, you know, you guys had a barbed wire fence set up, and I was like, okay, this must be some elite program here. And uh, come to find out, that was exactly what I was passionate about, was the motorsports, the racing. And that's what drew me in instantly. I mean, just, just hearing the engines right there in my backyard, oh, was, yeah. that, that alone was that, the temptation to join that. And then, you know, a lot of people say, why, why a technical program over a four-year degree? And it's funny you mention that, because I just had this discussion with a, a Georgia Tech graduate and a UGA graduate. Um, I say, you know, you go to Georgia Tech if you want to engineer things and design them and come up with things in theory. You go to UGA if you want to market it and sell it. But you go to a trade school if you want to make it all happen. So if you want to have the technical capabilities (laughs) to build it, to produce it, to manufacture it, you have to get those basics at a trade school. Yeah, and I I think Lanier Tech, and I'm going to brag on them for a minute there, they, they have so many different academic courses you can tie into what you're doing. But you've got to take the initiative. You know, oh, yeah. the, when we had people in the, the motorsports program or any other program, you know, you can, you can teach the skills, uh, but you, you've got to have the drive. And, you've had, you know, you had the drive to, to go beyond that. What other experience or tools or jobs have you done between, you know, being that, that interview process originally at the motorsports program to, you know, developing your own company? Well, like I say, you guys put me into it head first. Um, a lot of very professional motorsports teams picked me up from the beginning. Uh, Gellis Racing up near D.C. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were a huge Formula BMW team. I uh, had about six cars wide. Each car had its own lead mechanic. Uh, there was very, very hands-on experience right off the, you know, right out the gate. Uh, very busy, very, very detail-oriented. Uh, that led me into Comprint Motorsports in Athens. Right. Uh, championship history there for almost 30 years of winning races non-stop. Wow. Huge history. Uh, That led me on to get back into manufacturing. I actually got to work at the Space Center down in Cape Canaveral, which is something most Georgia boys don't get to do. No, that's for sure. Um, But I took the the teachings that you guys provided at Lanier Tech, uh, took those basics, the mechanical fundamentals, and applied it to manufacturing and really boosted my career, Uh, improved the efficiencies across the board, um, took those learnings and brought it back to Georgia. Um, became an industrial maintenance leader at Mars Wrigley in mm-hmm. Flowery Branch. And again, used the same sense of urgency from motorsports, the attention to detail, the sense of safety. Applied it to the manufacturing world and really, really took off and showed them things they never even knew were possible. Wow. Did you bring samples? I saw Tim's <laughs> eyes light up. He said, Mars, you know, yeah, I'm a- Oh, there I'm you a, go. I'm, I'm an or, orbit gum junkie. Oh, yeah, we made, we made orbit, <laughs> extra, you name it. Um, but, you know, a lot of the, the principles that we had in motorsports apply to manufacturing, you know, reducing the downtime, mm-hmm. keeping those machines running, uh, reducing the amount of time required to work on the machines, you know, like a pit stop. You right. don't want to be sitting in with your car in the pit lane for five, ten minutes. You yeah. want it going as fast as you can. Yeah. Same thing applies to these factories. You can't have the equipment down for, you know, Days trying to fix it. You no, got to get it. It affects, it affects oh, yeah. so much product and so oh, many yeah. people that are that are um, you know doing that kind of work. 
Uh, the you've gone into manufacturing. Did you take the? Uh, they had an industrial maintenance program at Lanier Tech. Did you ever do any of that kind of stuff? No, I didn't. Um, kind of on the job training stuff. A lot of on the job training, but honestly, a lot of the fundamentals that were taught to me in the motorsports program, mm -hmm. the hydraulics, brakes, yeah. timing, machining, mm -hmm. uh, the welding, sheet metal fabrication, a lot of those skills directly transferred over into manufacturing and really, I think, gave me a higher edge than most of the guys in the industrial maintenance program. Who'd have thunk? Yeah. <laughs> we were just trying to keep everybody busy the whole well, time. Well, I mean, you think about it, engine heads require torque sequences right, yeah, and torque yep. specs. Same well, thing yeah, with these yeah, million dollar machines. That. You know, yeah. they have a process to assembly and as long as you follow it and meticulous with your assembly process, you're, you're going to be in good shape. And Nobody got killed in the process either. Yeah, that's in all my years, I was there. Oh no, <laughs> we used to have we, you know, we had a lot of we had a lot of good partners that helped us out for sure. Now, Tim. Yes. I was researching as I always do when I'm not loitering. I was researching. Uh, for some reason or other, the last couple of weeks there's been stuff all over the internet about WD40. I guess it's a slow news week or something. Yeah. So all this stuff about WD40. Do you know where WD-40 came from? I, as a matter of fact, I do, bud. Oh, okay, well Because then. I did get the paper that you Well, whoop it on me then. Well, WD-40 is an American brand and the trademark of penetrating oil manufactured by WD-40 Company based in San Diego, California. I'm surprised that in California you can still make something that's got any kind of uh, yeah petroleum you, i hadn't base. thought about that but my uncle worked for uh, uh on the atlas uh, rockets back back then and uh you know they were using it the wd stands for do you know what the wd stands for brandon water displacement water displacement. wow so that's... it's not actually a lubricant as much as it's a solvent mm -hmm. and they used to wipe down the fuel tanks which were you know obviously bare metal uh with this stuff to uh you know keep them from rusting yeah. Uh, he worked for the space agency. I'm trying to think of what uh, it's Rocket Chemical Company uh, is was part or WD-40 was part of Rocket Chemical Company. And I'm trying to think of who he worked. Well, I'll, I'll think of it. Uh, Convair. That's who it was. Convair. Mm -hmm. Who built, uh, you know, rocket parts. So right. it was rocket science, basically. It was rocket science. And, uh, you know, to this day, uh, the net income was $27 million in 2008 to 70.8 two million in 2021 that's a lot of wd-40 yeah but it was actually the product was inducted into the international air and space hall of fame at the san diego uh, air and space museum yeah so brandon you worked in the space agencies for a while did you use a lot of wd-40 actually no actually no. <laughs> no i think because they they no longer were wiping down bare steel with it um you know, like they used to do back in the, the early astronaut days and things like that. Oh, yeah. And the, the, the area that I was in was actually considered a clean room environment. So uh, there was actually no yeah. no chemicals at all in, allowed inside that area. Oh, wow. Okay. That's cool. What did you do in the... In the is that where you had to wear the special suits and the shoes? And oh, yeah. So we're part of the construction phase of the world's largest clean room where they put together satellites, and that is about as far as I can say. Okay. <laughs> oh, right. We'll have yeah. to kill you. All right. Well, we, won't, we don't want to do that. Here's six places you should never use WD-40. Watch it, Tim. Six places you should never use it, okay? Uh, it's well, it's a, actually seven, but you only listed six. Oh, I only listed six? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> don't use it on plastic. Okay. Don't get it around plastic. It's uh, it's if you're trying to lubricate a hinge on a pair of sunglasses or removing a price tag, don't get it on plastic because it can mess up the surface. Right. Let me ask you this: What's uh -oh. the straw made out of? The who? The straw. That's a good idea. It's made out of plastic. It must be some <laughs> kind of super duper plastic. Right. I hadn't thought about that. See, that's that. Yeah. That's See? that's why you're. So far ahead of the curve from Tim and I, because mm -hmm. you thought about that. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, what's the or the nozzle, the tip that it comes out of? Yeah, it is. Yeah, right. It is plastic. What must they, be. They must have a patent on that. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, that's special plastic. That's special mm -hmm. plastic. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, you can use on every. Other, don't use on any other kind of plastic. Don't use it on woodwork. Now I don't. I, I, I can't exactly. Why they put this in a magazine article? Don't use it on woodwork. Why? Why would you not think of not using it on woodwork? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think they're I've talking used about it on every place, every surface that they say don't use it on. I've used it. 
don't use it on natural stone, mm-hmm. you know, because it's porous. And what they're what they're getting at is if you got granite countertops and stuff oh, like right. that, do right. not use it on them because mm-hmm. uh, you don't want it around food. Right. They, oh yeah. They, I know. I had that my first ex-wife uh, <laughs> put it on that meatloaf that time. <laughs> Your yeah, first ex-wife? A, yeah. That was a total disaster. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm not, I'm thinking that they uh, don't use it on anything that you... Uh, but they say don't use it on electronics, but remember, it's because it displaces water. Back in the day when you had points and the, you got your car yep, flooded, yep, yep, they yep. say... Yeah, you spray it inside the... the off yeah. and spray it. Spray it inside the cap, yeah. I think what they're talking now is the modern electronics, like your phone and stuff like that. Uh, not, mm-hmm. you know, not back to points and condensers but yeah we used to spray it you know in the distributor cap and then stick right. it back on the car and away you go away you go and this last one don't use it for arthritis pain i keep a can of it in the bathroom for that knee really yeah okay <laughs> okay well there you go you keep it in the bathroom mm-hmm. No, no, bud. All right, this WD-40. Well, you know, they say don't. Uh, I guess there's, you know, somebody is saying, oh, you can spray it on your wrist and your knees uh-huh. and stuff like that, and it won't, right. you know, it won't bother your. That's what you use help uh, honeybees for. What's that? You, you sting yourself with a honeybee everywhere that you've got joint pain, and it'll take away, it'll. Uh, well, how do you do that? How do you catch honeybees to do that? Well, you go to someone who's a beekeeper. Oh, okay. Silly boy, you know, just like and you, know, you take a net <laughs> and some honey. Wait a minute. And then what do you do to take care of the sting from the honeybee? But now this, you're hurting from that. No, the sting from the honeybee takes away the pain from the arthritis. I understand that. Yeah. So, so do you use Ben Gay then on the honey sting? The no honeybee one, sting? Well, that's a whole nother story, and that's for a different show. <laughs> Sounds like homework to me. Wow. So you just have to learn how to milk the honeybees for or whatever helps your arthritis out. We have gotten way off, off yeah, the path we sure here. Well, does does yeah. it say We've you can't use WD-40 on bee stings? <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm sticking with, a, what is it, gin and raisins. <laughs> I'll ask Kelly, <laughs> I'll ask Kelly and, and Josh. <laughs> yeah, go on the Internet. It, uh, yeah, it fixes everything. <laughs> Next week I'll ask Kelly and Josh on home. All right, that's, yeah, that's yeah, good. All right. One thing you can use it on is to stop your car's door locks from freezing. Especially here, uh, when we start out, a lot of our snowstorms start out with rain, with rain yeah. and then it freezes. Mm-hmm. If you take the, the plastic nozzle that, you know, Brandon uh, pointed out, yeah, it survives. It'll... You stick that in the door lock and you spray it, mm-hmm. and they, they tell you to take a, a cloth to wipe it off your finish so it doesn't mess up the finish of your car. Okay. But you spray it in the lock and it displaces the water, and then it won't freeze. Uh-huh. But after you have a nice dry day or something like that, Right. Use something that's got graphite in it and shoot it in your locks. Okay. So, you know, the, the WD-40 will get the water out so it can't freeze, mm-hmm. but, you know, it's not necessarily a great lubricant. Sam Madavi, host of Motor Trend's Sam's Garage, uh, was with us last week, and he's back again to do a uh, another segment. Sam, welcome back in the Bud's Garage Overdrive, the podcast. We had so much fun on the first segment uh, that I wanted to get you back and talk about what's going on today, what we're seeing today. Your garage that you had with your brother is now closed to the public, and you're in you're in TV and radio land constantly. I don't know how you fit it all in, but first of all, welcome back. Thank you very much for having me back. Yes, Madavi Motorsports was a great, great shop. We did a lot of wonderful things a lot of stories there but unfortunately you know the tv show did come and uh it was a great opportunity for me to take and i and i took it and ran but unfortunately my brother at that point did not want to continue with me Mm -hmm. father was ill there was some emotions going on so we closed it in february of 2018 i went to snellville for a year and a half built another studio in there or actually built a studio in there uh, off Oak Road. And we did that for a year, year and a half, and that's when we uh, did season two, three, and four, okay? So then the TV show took off. And just like we were talking about work ethics and employees, I was having a hard time filling spots. So Madavi Motorsports was starting to decline. It's hard to do both. That's why a lot of times you see uh, shows on, on TV, it's hard to do the show and run your daily at the same time, one's gonna suffer. And so I started to see that, and I said, you know what? I'm going to take the risk and go towards television. 
And so I closed Madavi Motorsports to the public, but if you're smart, you can still go Google it. You can still see the phone number. It's still in my pocket. It's still on. Because I was known for diagnosing and fixing cars for people that no one could. Correct. So yeah. still, if you have a problem and anybody out there who has a problem and no one can fix it, you can call me and I'll probably fix it. If you have a car that really needs to be built and you're a passionate person and you want it built and have the means of building it, you can give me a call and, and, and I'll still do it for well, you. Well, just, you just said a big word there. Have the means of building it? The means of building it. Yeah. Uh, you know. Because... The, it's not the, even just monetary. Oh, no. No, no. There's, there's so much... You know, it, it, there's so much nowadays in trying to even find the stuff to build the cars, the quality stuff to build the cars. It uh, becomes very difficult. And Bud used to be you would never charge someone for research, right? right? If you were building a car and you had X amount of labor hours incorporated in that build, but you took an hour to two to research to find the parts to buy for that build, you would not charge them for those one or two hours on the computer. Mm -hmm. Well, we're getting charged now, okay? Because one, people think they should get paid for every penny that they work, period. Right. And two, because there is so much more searching going on to find that part. And it is a quagmire. Yeah. Because when you're trying to, you know, I was, I was, I had a vehicle I was working on that had the wrong cam for the wrong situation in it. And by the time I, I did the research and called people that I knew and called cam companies and called people that, didn't have a clue, you've got to sift through all of this stuff and, and try to figure out, you know, what's going to be best for the customer? What's going to be best for the guy driving the car? And, and like you say, I don't know how you put a value on that. You know, it, it's, totally it's tough. And, you know, the best way to build a car is to build a practical car. You've got to put the ego away. And I can't tell you how many times I've schooled folks, you know. People think they want A when they don't need it. They want a thousand horsepower. They want a big gear. They want this, a big cam. They want a big overlap, this and that and the other. Well, bigger, we all know, isn't always better. No, no. And a thousand horsepower, no one ever tells you the bad. Okay, when you have a thousand horsepower, it's a ticking time bomb. Okay, if you have 2,000 horsepower, it's even a bigger risky ticking time bomb. You know what I mean? So, you know, people come up to me and they say, well, I want this much horsepower, that much horsepower. I had a customer with a Z06 black Corvette come up to me in 600 horsepower car, right? It's like a 1,000 horsepower. I'm like, I'll give you 800, okay? You're 650 to the wheels. I said, let me ask you something. Have you floored your car through all the gears yet? He was, what do you mean? I'm like, well, you want more power, but first you need to go through the car's power and, and, and handle it, right? So unless you've gone through the floor, through five gears, you don't need more horsepower. You with me? What are you going to do with more horsepower? Just say you have it. So I try to school people a lot. When they came into my shop, it wasn't about the big number. It was about the practicality, practicality of the car and the longevity and reliability and the peace of mind of the car, knowing you can take it from A to B no matter where B is and make it there. So should manufacturers be able to t sell 850 horsepower cars to people that have never driven something like that without, without requiring that they go to a two-day driving school or something like this because I know people that have, have done serious harm to themselves or other people with, you know, name your car that's got 850 horsepower. There's plenty of them out there. Yeah. You can get in the showroom. Yeah. And people have no idea what, when you stab that, that pedal, what, you know, what you're going to go through. Well, this reminds you of 30 years ago. If you mm -hmm. remember in the early 90s, the uh, fourth gen Camaro and Trans Am came out mm -hmm. with 275 to 325 horsepower. Wow. And everybody was buying them for their 16-year-old kids, and they were dying in droves. Mm -hmm. Okay? So that's 300 horsepower. And the reason being is back then, traction control was just snapping the throttle closed. Correct. It just it didn't do anything else. It didn't pulsate, break the car, nothing like that. No, it just no it's the not power. like we've got now. So now, because of the technology and traction control, you can give 800 horsepower to someone as long as they don't touch the button. Don't button, turn off the, the button. button yeah. Yeah. You better be a good driver when you turn off that button. That's when anybody loses their car is when they turn off the button. The that's why electronic throttle bodies are out there. Mm -hmm. Without the electronic throttle body and the algorithm that's in the computer with the torque management, when you stab that throttle, if it's unhappy in any way, it's cutting the power in half. You don't even know it. Because these people out there who have 800 horsepower don't know what 400 horsepower feels like for the most part. So when the car gives you 400 horsepower because you're putting the throttle to the floor, but it's only opening up 50% and it's braking and pulsating your calipers, 
and you're taking the timing down because you're spinning the wheels, well, that 800 horsepower is now 400 horsepower. And you're still in it all excited. You're going fast. You're spinning. You're going left and right a little bit. And you don't even realize your power's cut in half. Right. But when you hit the button, you got 800 horsepower. And that is no joke. 500 horsepower with no button is no joke. Mm-hmm. You know? So I try to school folks. When they came into my shop, I schooled them. And I said, listen, man, you really don't want this. You want this, this, and this. And I kept marriages together. You know, because, <laughs> but this, this game caused a lot of divorces. <laughs> you know what I mean? All right. Well, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm, I'm going to take a left turn here. <laughs> you and I, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were having lunch and you were talking about Z06s. And of course I had a Z06 back in the C6 days. And I had a Grand Sport after that, which uh, was a nice car, 2019. And I sold it for my dog. Yeah, it's a long story, but I'll, I'll get into that sometime with you. <laughs> but... <laughs> The, uh, the, the E-Ray Corvette, now I know how you feel about hybrid cars. We've talked about that, and we'll talk about it in a minute. The E-Ray Corvette, uh, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, all right, so you got, most of the time you got 550, 575 horsepower. Then for a few moments, uh, I think it's like four minutes or something like that, you got this incredible, you know, 600, almost 700 horsepower. That sounds like a pretty good mix to me without having to live with the high horsepower all the time. And it's, you know, the, the, the drivetrain, the electric drivetrain is in no way hooked to the mechanical drivetrain. And you've got these super capacitors in the car. That, that seems like the, the future of the hot rod. Forget the, you know, total electric challenger. No, I totally agree. The beauty of a hybrid is nobody even realizes the big giant power adder. Oh, no yeah. different than nitrous, turbo, or supercharger. Mm-hmm. A car with a hybrid motor, I mean, it gives that added torque. And on the E-Ray, you're right, it's probably even less on insurance because the Z06 is a whole other bracket. That's right. So, And then the Z06 is a disposable car. The engine in that car, if it breaks, you throw it away. Mm-hmm. That's what's happening to engines today. Is they're so technologically advanced with the variable valve timing that they're, they're too hard to repair. So when they fail, you just chuck it and it's over. You go get another one. Whereas with the LT1 that's in this E-Ray, it's still a push rod LT1. You can still work on it, repair it, take it apart, fix it, put it back in. No problem. Mm-hmm. And the electrical portion isn't going to fail except for the battery is going to lose its charge in about 10 years or 100,000 miles. And you get a new battery at that time. And you can get a used battery all day, every day. All you guys with the hybrids out there, you don't have to get a brand new hybrid battery. It's just too astronomical doesn't make sense for the value of the car but you can go and get low mileage ones on the internet all day long and change that battery every four or five years or hundred thousand miles for a fraction of what it would cost to repair a transmission an engine get a new battery or even an ev is anybody rebuilding batteries yet no bud we talked about this two days ago me and the gentleman and just think about there should be a company out there and i'm looking for it so i can invest in, in shares in it because we have to be able to re- repair them. We, we're losing the resources to be able to build them. They're too expensive. And to rebuild it, it's like, for instance, a Tesla battery. It's a whole bunch of C batteries in series together. Yeah. When one C cell dies, the flow stops. Right. So they go in, take it apart, they find the one, and they fix it. But it's, you know, you've got to have lab coats on and all this stuff to do, and you've got to be very... Because now when you're going in to messing with the actual cells, that starts to become dangerous. You sure. can very much yeah. easily hurt yourself. But that's the lucrative future business. And there, I know there's already people out there trying to do it. There's got to be something. Well, I, I think it's made harder by the fact that we can't agree on what, what battery we're going to use. Yeah. You know, we're building battery plants, and by the time the plant's built and completed... They changed. That, that technology may have changed. Just like a laptop. Yeah. doesn't make sense. You know? So I think hybrid, hybrids are very cool, and uh, they're a lot more sustainable than EVs. For sure. I don't think the EV is the future. A lot of people don't see what we see behind the scenes, mm-hmm. and that is EVs sitting in parking lots and droves, losing value. No one's buying them. It's expensive to own. It's expensive upfront cost because then you have to put the charger in your house, and that's a cost. You know, there's a lot of extra costs, but in the long run, you get the benefits from the tax breaks and all that stuff, but that upfront cost is a lot. Well, we're subsidizing, we're subsidizing manufacturers. Yes. We're not... We're not it's not fair competition. No. Uh, the, the money side of it is, is crazy. 
All right, before we depress everybody that's listening, <laughs> you, you, you were, you know, heads up on the Nopi scene, okay? And you love the modern cars also, and you understand the technology in them. Tell us a little bit about the transition and the love for the going from the Nopi stuff back to the classic stuff that I grew up with, but incorporating the new, the new doodads you can put on the old muscle cars that make them even better. Correct. Thank you. And But I do a lot of incorporating the, what I've learned in imports into my classic restorations and muscle cars that I build, giving them the perks and the luxuries of the import stuff in their classics cars. And the thing is that the import scene and the German scene is a niche market, whereas the domestic scene has always been big, has always been broad. And you go to SEMA, you'll see that. 90% is domestic, 10% is foreign. Okay, So in television... That is what is supported, is domestic. Mm -hmm. But I've always loved the American V8. I've owned three or four Corvettes. So the LS engine, the pushrod small block, the Fords, I always built those. So look what's happened now is import has died off, but my knowledge of the classics and the American stuff has kept me afloat. And that's what being versatile and diverse is about, is being able to go from one to the next without skipping a beat, and your money doesn't stop. Well, the import stuff was using, all of it was overhead cam stuff yes, for the most all of part. It, all of it. And now, you know, the overhead cam engine is commonplace in Every, the V8 stuff. Yep, in the V8, except for GM and Mopar. Right. So they still have their push rods, which I'm proud of. And Ford just brought back a push rod in the Godzilla. Yep. Um, which is great. And their overhead cam is, is great, too. You know, you just got to know the, the Packaging engines. is tough. Yeah, packaging is very tough. <laughs> big heads, big, wide package, yeah. you know. Um, but it's still very cool and very intriguing. And the LT motor is going to be replaced the LS motor. I was mm -hmm. the first one to put an LT motor with a dry sump in the C10 67, and it was very cool. And uh, and that love will never die because you can make so much easy, efficient horsepower out of this new V8 that is the Hemi and that is the LS engine. Those two are like almost identical. It's almost like one person in Germany designed the two engines for these guys. Hmm. Because Germany is who designed the LS engine. Right. Germany is who made the LS9 engine, the supercharged ZR1, the Cadillac engines. When you buy the parts for those two particular engines, they come from Germany. The head gaskets are made in Germany. So that's what saved the, the big three, is they went and said, wires are foreign domestics are foreign companies that are with us affiliations doing better than we are. Mm -hmm. Well, they started to bring their designs here to the States. And that's where we have the LS engine, the Hemi engine, all the technology, the standalones and the computers and the self-learning adaptive computers and the EFI. Okay, so let's take a knuckle dragger like me, okay? And I want to build a 427 big block. Tell me what stuff we're going to put on it to make it not only drivable, but make it more efficient and just as much fun as it used to be back in the day without stinking up the garage. Now you're talking about a big block or a small yeah, a block, block LS? No, big block. Big block all day long. You can put aluminum heads on it because I just built a big block. And it was my first big block after doing all the LSs and the, and the imports. And you can build a very efficient big block. Just by replacing the aluminum heads, you save 200 horsepower. Sure. Yeah. Catalytic converters, you know, with the new EFI you have today, you can put direct port injected, you can put throttle body injected, and you can make that thing idle at 14.7, give you good fuel economy, turn on anywhere in the world because of fuel injection. You put a set of catalytic converters on there, and you don't even smell like an old car. Mm -hmm. The catalytic converters, a lot of people don't know, that takes that fuel that wasn't burned and incinerates it before it leaves the tailpipe so you don't smell like fuel. Sure, you'll smell carbon dioxide. You can still smell exhaust sure. gas, yeah, yeah. but you're not going to smell like gas, and your garage isn't going to smell like raw gas. No, because you, you no longer have a carburetor sitting there, which is a, a bowl full of gasoline. Yes, yes. Just venting off into the, the atmosphere. But you can make a 454, 427, a 502 very efficient, uh, make it turnkey, reliable, make them lightweight, have good fuel economy, 14 miles per hour better than 14 miles per gallon better than 10 you know <laughs> well yeah 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 you got to you got to take that into consideration you're building these cars but it's not unusual you know like like my uh, uh my Mach 1 that I've got I had to pay a gas guzzler tax on it I yeah. can get 22 miles to the gallon with the thing if I'm not driving it like a fool all the time that's impressive and and the same with my truck you know same same engine a little different version of it right. but you know if you're not drag racing at every light 
and you're driving up in the mountains and you're cruising and stuff. And they've, they've done so much with, with, uh, with variable cam timing and transmission ratios that, you know, you can have, you can still have fun with the car. The biggest thing, bud, is not to make your camshaft and your items too big for the street. Yeah. A lot of people make them too big for the street, and therefore you don't have longevity, you don't have vacuum. When you don't have vacuum, you have rich conditions. That's right. You don't have drivability, and so if you don't have drivability, you have a rich condition going down the road, you know. So that's why I always tell people, you're you're in your throttle five, maybe if you're healthy, 10% of the time. 90 to 95 percent of the time you're in vacuum partial throttle that's right so build the car on how you're going to drive it if it's a race car build it like a race car it's full throttle upper rpm but if it's a street car build like a street car i tell people in the ls world try not to go over a 600 lift cam because you'll get everything you want plus longevity gm has a 525 crate engine ls that puts a 525 lift cam in it okay and makes 525 horsepower and hits a lick at idle like you wouldn't believe classic lick, yeah. okay? Mm-hmm. And then you got people out there like myself, I've done it in a 427, a 676 lift cam and made 150 horsepower just by swapping the cam. The highest I'll go is a 625 from TrickFlow. It, it beats up the valve train a little bit, but it's not as bad as the 660, 676. But if you wanted to live a long time, 600 lift, because what happens is the number seven lifter bore, for some reason, number seven, either intake or exhaust, the lifter turns. Mm-hmm. When the lifter turns, it beats up the bore, and the bore is the block. So you really can't sleeve it unless you know someone good enough to put a good sleeve in there for the lifter. And they got to put it in straight. Yeah, and it's going to fail. The lifter goes up and down too many yeah. times. There's yeah. nothing holding the sleeve. They have to pin it. Yeah. Too much to rely on. So it fails. So when you have too much lift, the push rod will flex. And so things will go bad. And so this thing lasted 12,000 miles, made 700 horsepower, 600 to the wheels, and had a 676 lift cam. But 12,000 miles, not a lot. You can go 100,000 miles if you did a 600 lift cam. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. if you just don't do it too big, don't get too overzealous, you can have a very nice practical car that didn't cost you a lot and won't keep breaking on you so that the marriage stays alive. Yours and the cars. Yeah, yours and the it's cars. good if it lasts for the length of the payments. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good deal. All right, so you're doing the you're doing the TV show, um, and you're you're still doing some builds. Yep. What what are what do you what do you see for the the future for Sam's Garage? Sam's Garage is going to be great. Season twelve is coming up. I'm going to be showcasing a 1993 Honda Accord that I just picked up last night, bud. I was the first person to do a 1993 Honda Accord auto to manual conversion H22 swap. So it goes from 110, 25 horsepower to 210. Auto so is that, a, is that a Japanese-only engine you're no, putting in it? No. Honda Prelude engine. So okay. it'll be like a domestic 92 to 98 Honda Prelude engine. Okay. Dual overhead cam 2.2. And this gentleman calls me up. It's a one-owner Honda Accord, and he wants the same thing done here. I'm about to do it again 24 years later, and I'm going to showcase it on the show. Um, so season 12, we've got a couple good projects coming up. I'm going to be doing a C6 Corvette with Holly. And then season 13, which is the exciting part, we're going to be taking an original Shelby GT350 Mustang and doing the entire great race circuit with it in June. And we're going to televise the whole thing and cover it for season 13, which will be airing fourth quarter in the fall of 2024. First time anyone's ever gone into the great race with cameras to capture the entire experience from every stop all along the way. So it's going to be from Kentucky all the way to the northeast to Maine. That's going to be really cool. Wow. Yeah. Fun, fun stuff. And the low car car show, you know, that's my other show. It does really well. Uh, we'll be covering car shows in 24. Added a couple of new ones. We've added Shaq. Uh, it, it's a car show that goes on in April in, uh, in McDonough. And it's for the Sheriff's Association. And he gives a $5,000 purse to the first place winner. And then he signs 25 NBA balls in glass cases to the top 25. No kidding. So that's every April in McDonough. And then we've got the Georgia Leo. We've got uh, the Buford Auto uh, Cruise, which is in September of every year. Um, so it's, we've, we've got a lot of things going on here locally, which I'm trying to bring Georgia into television, show everyone. There's a lot of motorsports in Georgia you guys don't know about. And I want to show imports because you don't see imports on TV. So I want to start bringing out some imports. Motorsports. You bring out motorsports. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Shortage of people working, in, you know, to be able to work in motorsports. Uh, motorsports changing. It broke my heart when commerce closed down. Yeah. Um, 
because we used to, you know, we used to take the high school kids out there with a Malibu that we built, and and they learned, and we learned. Their parents drove the car. You know, we do, we just did a lot of different things. What what's what's killing drag racing, in your opinion? The money in drag racing comes from the person's pocket, mm-hmm. whereas the money in most other racings usually there's a sponsor. So in in drag racing. The kids who would take a car, didn't look so good, didn't care, put an engine in it and go and just have the fun of doing that. That boils down to the kids not being interested in the cars to where they would take that little bit of pocket money and do something big and go drag racing. Mm-hmm. Where they're, they're doing a lot of street racing. And because street racing has, due to the internet and social media and, and this taking over the intersections and street racing, we've all street raced back in the day. But you still feared the law, all right? When the law showed up, you took off or... Well, we didn't. I, I don't know. Not, again, we've got two different generations sitting here at the bench. But our, our street racing was... I lived in the country. We had straight roads. We knew where they were. And we, our street racing was drag racing for the mm-hmm. most part. Mm-hmm. But, we, you know, nobody hassled us because, you know, we, we weren't out doing... Stupid doing, things. Yeah, we weren't mm-hmm. out trailering a car to the road. And, you That's know, what they're doing. Yeah. yeah so know. Moreland Avenue and Barrett oh. Parkway were yeah. the two big names here in Georgia as far as street racing goes. And they were always been cool. You know, they just go out there. They would do their thing, street race from light to light. Whereas now today, street racing has gotten obnoxious. They take over complete roads. They take, they take over the interstate. They go and take over intersections. The cops are watching. No one has respect for anyone. Mm-hmm. And so... That has drawn up a whole other interest out there for kids. And I think kids aren't engaged because parents aren't engaging them either. you got the hot rodders of tomorrow who do the junior dragsters. A lot of the junior dragsters, people grew up from that. Yep. Well, that isn't as big as it should be. It's actually probably getting a little smaller. So we need to, very important, drum up the interest in the youth again and get them excited and show them how cool cars are, what they can bring to the table. I, I think what did it for me with the, with the drag racing, uh, we used to be there every Friday night mm-hmm. with, a, with our car and stuff. Inexpensive, too. Well, well it, it is, and, and pro- professional drag racing is not. Mm-hmm. And, and it used to be that you would have 30 cars show up in top fuel, and it would be 30 different teams. Now it's one team has six cars. And I, I think that I think that happens in NASCAR too. It kind of kills the interest in me of the this guy is my favorite. He's against this guy. Well, if he's on a team, uh, don't kid yourself. There's team orders. There's there's a lot of money involved, uh, you know. And I, I I think I think it becomes uh, not all racing, but some of it is you know borders on uh, professional wrestling or what we call professional wrestling. It's who's going to win and who's going to... It takes gonna, the fun out of it. Yeah, it, it takes the fun out. Yeah. yeah, and that's what's happening is it's happening in the whole industry. It's weird because everybody's acquiring everybody. Mm-hmm. We've got like 200 companies that have come down to 50. Yeah. And it yeah. keeps going on. Yeah. So eventually we're going to have 20, 25 companies and they're going to control everything. And how is this legal? How is this happening? Monopolies are supposed to be illegal and they're, they're just buying up everyone. I mean, well, I remember. I, I don't remember whether it's Holly or Mr. Gasket or a combination Holly. of all that. You know, you used to be able to call Mr. Gasket. You used to be able to call uh, Hooker. You used mm-hmm. to be able to call all these different companies and talk to somebody that knew that product. Mm-hmm. Now you're calling, and they have 15 products to offer, and nobody knows anything about any of them. 85. Wow. Holly acquired 85 companies in the last year, year and a half. 85, so think about it, but that's everybody you know of, every mm-hmm. name you could think of, being from your generation, all the family names, okay? Yeah. Bear, Brembo, all those AM, everyone is bought by Holly. Yeah. Okay? Which is cool. You know, Holly's a very big sponsor of mine. Now you could go on the one website and you can buy anything for your truck, your car. And the thing about it is that in time, Holly's going to take these brands because Holly does a good job overall. Mm -hmm. Holly as a company does a very good job. So if there was anything lacking in these other brands, they're going to bring it up. Okay. And so it's going to be an even level playing field for tech support or anything like that because when you call in for any of these brands, you're calling Holly's tech support. And so 
They've probably got a system in there to where all the information for all the different companies are right there with all the different questions and answers to where they can help you out. Um, but that's what's happening, and it's happening. Anyone who's free is being bought up by a, a couple of others. Right. You know, so it's going to be five to ten, maybe fifteen companies out there. So when you go to SEMA, like you said, you're going to see a bunch of teams. Yeah. And that's no fun. There's got to be competition. You know. How do you stop it? It's well, very you, tough. you don't stop it. I'm, I'm, but I, I think having a show like yours on, on the air um, increases the positive effect of some of this stuff. The, the awareness that you create in people that, yeah, the, you know, these, these companies are all owned under one umbrella. But sometimes, like you say, there's an advantage to that mm -hmm. as trying to be out there and, and struggling as one small company, mom and pop organization. Yeah, it's changing, but what doesn't? I mean, That's true. what does not change? Um, what, what do you see? You know, we, we've gone down the road with your, your uh, TV show where you're going to be at in a few years. What do you, what do you see in the, the automotive field? I mean, the technicians, the cars that are being produced. Uh, what, are, what are we going to see on the road here in 10 years? We're going to see autonomous cars. I, I just don't see some of this stuff happening. I mean, I, I, I get the same magazines you get and read the same stuff. I just, some of this stuff is just a pipe dream, you know, and uh, it's, you, you spend a lot of energy getting there. It's like, you know, everybody driving an electric vehicle, you spend all this energy and this money and there's money being made, uh, but it's, it's not going to, no fruition. No, what, what I've noticed about 2015, I said to myself, and I even wrote it down somewhere, that in the future, what, what's, what's going to happen is we're not going to own anything. It's going to be autonomous Ubers and Lyfts and little electric cars that are gonna come pick us up with no driver and take us where we need to go because you're not gonna be able to own a car for a couple different reasons. One, you don't want to, you don't care about a license, like what you're seeing today, you have uh, no yeah, enthusiasm yeah, for yeah. a car. Two, the cars are way too expensive. When they break, who's gonna fix them? The mm -hmm. dealership has got their hands tied, they don't know what to do. The independents are so full and lacking service members that they don't know what to do. So the frustration is like, you know what? I'm just gonna give up the car. I'm gonna call this Uber. And eventually the Uber, if they get autonomous right, the Uber driver's gone, and it's just you and the Uber. And what's happening is the electric car isn't working out, so that hasn't worked out. Sure. So in the future, what I think is gonna happen, just like in Toyota a year and a half ago, last winter I think it was, they stopped their electric program. They lost $32 billion and put a halt on their electric program. And they just expanded to hybrids like crazy. Hybrids and hydrogen. Yeah. So no different than engines running off propane. Right. They made the hydrogen fuel cell 25 years ago, but that's just too expensive. And you can't get people to understand the fuel cell. Okay, you brought it up. How about the guys that are running internal combustion engines, Mr. Toyota? Off hydrogen. Off of hydrogen. That's the future. Okay. That's the future. So hydrogen is plenty, you can get it. But to be able to use it as a fuel in a standard internal combustion engine is going to be the future. And that's why you see Toyota do it. Mm -hmm. For Toyota to do it is, a, I mean, like Toyota's got Toyota, Honda, Mercedes, you know what I mean? Those three are the big. They're the ones that engineer everything for everyone. And so, Germans, period. Um, but Toyota to be doing something like that, they just lost $32 billion. They're not going to lose that again. Oh, no. So they're not about the sort of program that they know is going to fail. So I think hydrogen's going to be the future. Okay. Not, not electric, unfortunately. And internal combustion engines. I know a lot of people are Mercedes. A lot of people are trying to say we're going to be all electric by 2030, 35. Uh, no way. No, no way. Um, you know, electric, electric uh, diesel locomotives have been around for a long time. I think we're going to see some of that in the trucking industry. Using How long is diesel? I didn't know that. What's that? Electric diesel loc locomotive. Hybrid diesel trains? Yeah. I did not know that. You did not know that. No. How long have they been, been out for? They, electric trains have been out since, you know, steam locomotives went away. Oh, wow. I did it's not. a diesel power train, but it's running, it's running motors that are driving the, the train. Wow. Who would have thought? I, I got one on you. Yes, you did. I would have never known that. Oh, it's That's like the big cool. earth movers. You know, they got that diesel engine in them, but they're turning, you know, they're, they're, they're either using hydraulics or electric uh, drive motors on the wheels because there's no other practical way to do it. You know, you can't, this thing that you used to see, the connecting rods on, yeah. the, on the engine, that's all, that's all electric. Wow. 
So if you're sitting at a train track and you're watching that train go by, you know, towing all those cars on it, that's all that's all being done by electric. But the diesel is running a generator. The diesel is running a generator. And yeah. the generator is going to be proved to be reliable forever and just run for as long as it can. Well, and I think what they've done with, uh, with trucks in California, the semis, you're going to see a hydrogen generator power plant on the truck. And, you know, then you can run it on electric. Mm-hmm. But as far as dragging a battery with you, mm-hmm. that ain't no going to happen. No way. That's the batteries will deplete so fast. And it's just not, not reliable. No. So there's, there's some interesting stuff that's going to come down the line. It's going to be a lot of money lost. And, and a lot of money made. Yeah, and a lot of money made. You're <laughs> yeah. right about that. All right, you're going to come, come back and visit with us again? Absolutely, anytime. Uh, loved having you here. Uh, continued success in what you're doing. Uh, you're having fun, and it shows. And you're working hard, and that shows also. Thank so you. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you here, and uh, we'll have you back real soon. I appreciate it. Thank you very uh, much, man. bud. Had fun. Thanks for being here. Bud's Garage Overdrive, Sam Madavi. Continued success. So last week, I had your recommended glass guy come and put the rear window in the Mustang Fastback I've been working on forever forever and ever, it seems. Uh, The 73, where the glass is almost laying down flat. Mm -hmm. But it's mounted in rubber, so you got to have the, you got to put it in with a a rope. Right. And he had the special gizmo. I mean, you know, 15 minutes he had it in. Yeah. And everything was cooking. And I had some, some trim to put back on the window. That I had gotten from year one, and it's good trim. But Bud had used brand new clips, and I did not understand the concept of trim clips. Uh, they need to fit looser than I had them on the car, mm-hmm. and uh, you have to you have to tweak them a little bit when you put right. them on. So that's what's called tuition when you're building a car. You you pay tuition one way or another. So I went to put the trim on, and I messed up the trim. Mm-hmm. So I called uh, year one. And I told them what I'd done. And I you know after they got done calling me a big dummy for not stretching the clips out <laughs> but after we got through that uh i said well can you get me a couple more pieces of trim he says man we're out of it he says we got some coming but it's not here right this minute but they found another supplier for me and they got on the horn and they said here's somebody that does have it in stock because we know you're trying to get the car finished as any of us nuts are that are building a car when you get right. to this point you're trying to get it done and so many times i put that trim on and did the little slap Right. And broke the glass. And that was my biggest concern, breaking mm-hmm. the glass. But instead, I, I messed up the trim. Right. The and trim is very fragile. Well, and you know what I found out? And, and like I say, all of this is a lesson learned, is every place there's a clip, they recommend that you take a piece of masking tape and let, remind yourself where the clip is. Mm-hmm. So you're not trying to push it on, to, or you're not hammering it down where there isn't a clip. Where there isn't a clip, And right. it'll bend the other part of the, mm-hmm. the trim. So, you know, that's the kind of things you learn as you go. But, uh, you know, the folks at the counter at year one could probably have told me that if I had called them and asked them, how do you put this trim on? Right, but but you don't know no, what you don't, you don't know. know what you don't know. Yeah, you don't even know what to ask. And, and nobody's nobody's judgmental. They just say, hey, you know, Yeah. well, let's see if we can get you some more stuff, and next time don't be such a big dummy. Use a smaller hammer. Right, we all run into that from oh, time to time. Absolutely, and uh, folks at Year One will help you out. Check them out at yearone.com. Okay, Tim, time for some thank yous okay. for this, uh, this week's podcast. Want to thank uh, Concept One, Pulley Systems, best on the planet. Mm-hmm. Year One, the performance muscle car restoration folks. And how about Lanier Technical College? Oh, right. Yeah, and this week's guest from Lanier Technical College was Brandon Reed. We want to thank him for coming in. We're going to do a podcast with him because he's got a lot of exciting stuff going on. Very interesting and, character. And, uh, you know, what he's done with his education and how it's gotten him to where he is now. So mm-hmm. we'll, we'll address that in a few weeks. Uh, DJ Bill, tell us about your DJing, Bill. Well, thank you, Bud. My other hat is as the program coordinator for DJ Trivia. We're a nationwide uh, bar slash family pub trivia company. We're family friendly, free to play. Log on to djtrivia.com to find out a location near you. And if you're in the North Georgia area, you just might find me hosting one of these games. We run Sunday through Thursdays throughout the country. Back to you, bud. And I know you guys are nationwide. Are you worldwide also? Uh, no. All right. Just well, nationwide. We're going to work on that. We're not even in all 50 states. We want to get in all 50 states, but we are in Hawaii. Oh, so oh wow. Okay. We go as far as Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah. How about North Dakota, though? We're going to yeah. get you worldwide before it's all done. We hope so. Uh, in the coming weeks, we're going to have uh, Brandon Hutchinson 
uh, on again to talk about a little bit more of the racing stuff and running a racetrack. Uh, Kyle Petty's going to be in uh, to tell us his version of what's going on for the 2024 NASCAR season. Uh, anyone else we've forgotten, Bill? How about Sam Madavi? Oh, yeah, for sure. Sam Madavi, part two. Uh, we're going to be doing some stuff in the future with Sam. Uh, he's a good guest to have on. Good voice, too. Oh, yeah. Great voice for a podcast. Yeah, yeah. And that's like us, great faces for radio. Yeah. And uh, Jacob's Medio, the studios, uh, they put on the great sound every week uh, with the help of DJ Bill. And in the meantime, Tim, Bud, remember to keep between the ditches, shiny side up. We'll see you next week right here on Bud's Garage Overdrive, the podcast. Have a great week. You too.